Hello and welcome to the WAMDA podcast. My name is Triska Hamid and I'm the editor at WAMDA. Now for this episode, I spoke to Tim Wilkinson, the Executive Director of Strategy and Growth at Virgin Hyperloop One. When tech billionaire Elon Musk first published his white paper on Hyperloop, it created a great deal of excitement among engineers and investors who believed that this would be the future of mobility. Since then, a few companies have emerged looking to make his theory a reality, one of which is the Virgin Hyperloop One. Founded five years ago and backed by Silicon Valley investors and Dubai's DP World, the company claims to be ready to lay down its tracks in India. It was in Dubai recently to showcase its Hyperloop pod, a sleek carriage not too dissimilar to that of a train carriage, with comfy leather seats, blue ground lighting and big screens at the front. This, of course, was the first class section. The economy section was a little more cramped, but still quite luxurious. The future, though, it seems, will still designate people according to their economic status. Still, with a journey time of 12 minutes from Dubai to Abu Dhabi and 48 minutes from Abu Dhabi to Riyadh, Hyperloop has the potential to dramatically alter and change the way we move and work. Hi, Tim. Welcome. Good morning. Hi. How are you doing? Very well. When are we likely to see a Hyperloop in action? Yeah, but this, this is probably the first form of new mobility since the creation of the aeroplane. Uh, and, the, and the first aeroplane that was test flown, I think, at Kitty Hawk in, in North Carolina in 1903. There hasn't really been a new, totally new form of transport since that point. There's been evolutions of existing forms of transport, and clearly it's got incrementally better over the years, be that road, rail, ship, or air. However, we believe that the Hyperloop system is totally new, totally revolutionary, and, and radically different to anything that we, we, we've seen before. Uh, it's not a train, it, it's not a plane, um, it moves at incredible speeds, it connects people like never before, and is the sustainable transport solution for the 21st century. How different is it to the bullet trains in Japan, in China? They reach speeds, I think, of 400 kilometers per hour. Yeah, yeah that, there is a huge difference. One is they're massively energy inefficient. Okay. They, they use huge amounts of electricity to get to that speed. And, and power to get to that speed. Um, that, that they don't operate inside a tube which allows them to have no air friction, which we do, which allows that coupled with magnetic levitation means we get no rail friction. So there's no steel on steel rail frictions because it, it floats above the, the magnets, if you like. And then because we're in a tube with a vacuum, there is no air friction. So, so, so that's what's different about Hyperloop. And, and because of those two absences of, of friction, it means with our electric pulse motors, we can go at incredible speeds. We can go almost at infinite speeds. Um, it's like being in space. Can humans sustain that, those kind of speeds? That's very Victorian of you, because in, 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 uh, they are similar questions that when the railway started in 1825, w would my face peel off at speeds of 25 miles an hour? I don't know if that happens to you when you're in an airplane, when, when, when you're going at speeds of, of, of 500 miles an hour, but, but no, clearly not. The, the human body will, will be sitting inside a pod in the same way that it sits inside a fuselage of an airplane. Um, so you will experience uh, G's, gravity, as you accelerate. But that, in our estimation, would feel like similar to a, a takeoff and landing of an airplane or being in an elevator. It's point zip, point 0.3 of a G. So completely manageable. You could sit and I could drink this cup of coffee here 
in the same way that, that I would if I was at the, uh, do it on an airplane as well. So the experience would be, from a G perspective, a bit like an airplane, but it would be unlike an airplane. You wouldn't have the buffeting, you wouldn't have the turbulence, you'd have a very, very smooth ride. At what stage are we at the Hyperloop evolution? So we... Uh, so th to go back a bit, w we started in 2013. We had three guys in a garage in Los Angeles, um, some really smart, clever, bright engineers that, that, that began to evolve this. It, it was originally from a white paper that was written by Elon Musk, and, 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 and he put it on the internet and said, everyone wants to take a go at this, please do. And, and, and some of our guys did. And... Uh, we evolved it really from Mr. Musk's white paper into a, a physical entity, a physical property, and, and then began to test that in our test site in Nevada, just outside Las Vegas, from about 2015 onwards. Uh, we have built a prototype test site. Uh, it, it's a half a kilometer long, and we've run over 400 tests at that site. And we are now moving to the point where we need to extend and find a longer uh, test track and test facility that allows us to continue to test at higher and higher speeds as we begin to evolve the technology and move towards commercialization. So we're in discussions with uh, a number of partners, including Saudi Arabia, to establish a, an extended test track, which potentially could be in the Gulf, could be in Saudi Arabia, to enable us to continue to do tests and to continue to do research and development as we begin to evolve and begin to bring it to, to commercialization. So to answer your question, when would it be first operating? We think it's, it's years, not decades, but at some point after the first half of the 2020, so 20, after 2025, going up to 2030, that's when we expect to see the first Hyperloop operating. So is the technology proven now? The technology is absolutely proven now. Okay. And, and now it's a, it's a question of refining, and then it's a question of testing, and then it's a question of certification. How easy is it to get the regulatory approvals? In these of, course, of course, it's a totally new technology. It's a totally new form of transport. So, so there aren't Hyperloop regulators. So governments are starting to think now about, about how to regulate and how to approve and how to certificate Hyperloop systems. So, so as we develop the technology, they're also developing their thinking. And ultimately, that'll be a collaboration between us and them as we move that forward. You're making headway in India. If you can just give us an overview of what's happening there. So India is incredibly exciting because under Prime Minister Modi, they have decided to kind of leap forward in terms of their infrastructure and their transport technology. And in the state of Maharashtra, uh, we are looking very seriously with the state government at a link between Pune and Mumbai. Mm -hmm. That's a distance of about 150 kilometers, which... Uh, if you're a, a road commuter, could take up to, depending on the traffic, but between three to four hours, uh, one-way commute. O on a Hyperloop system, that would take around 25 minutes. So that that opens up huge possibilities for both cities. It means you can you can live and 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 and, and be with your family in Pune and, and be able to commute quite easily in and out of of, of Mumbai, where there is more work. However, I mean, Pune itself is a is a pretty big city, so it's, it's so it works both ways. So it allows people from Mumbai to commute also to Pune. So a rising tide will lift all boats, as it were, and we'll see what impacts that has in urban development. And, and we believe that hyperloop systems will have significant impacts on the way that people live their lives and the way that people build cities in the future as this technology begins to embed. 
with the arrival of the first trains, that had a massive impact on the economies. And then the plane changed the way people commuted and worked. What impact will the Hyperloop have? So I think that's absolutely right. We expect it to be as catalyzing as, as, the, as the first trains, as the first airplanes, as the advent of the road system in, in, in the US. So you know, in the US, infrastructure is predicated mainly on, on the road system in the US. And, and everyone had a car, or at least one car, part of the American dream. Uh, suburbs and the way that cities were built were, were, were predicated on car ownership. We believe that over time, that, that, that cities will also respond to Hyperloop systems and will start to, to, to kind of regenerate themselves in, in a way that because the distances shrink, distances and time shrink. So from a, from a UK perspective, where, where I'm from, if you were to be in Manchester and wanted to get to, to London, that's 18 minutes. That today in, 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 on a train journey is about two and a bit hours and a car journey would be three and a bit hours. So it means you could actually live in, in the northern city of Manchester and work in London quite easily. So that changes the way you, where you buy your house, it changes the way you educate your children, it changes the way that, 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 that cities will, will grow and allows cities perhaps to grow in different ways and people to live perhaps different sorts of lives. So I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it will have a fundamental impact on, on the urban environment. Will it have a societal impact, do you think? I mean, in the sense that, 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 that cities will start to change, yes, because that will allow people to, to manage how they, what they do with their time. So that they'll have more time to do the things that are important. And we're already seeing that in the way that people are changing their work patterns now. More working from home, um, more use of obviously working remotely in, in different locations. Um, and, and that is already happening. So you could argue that, well, actually, I spend my time on the train, which is, albeit too long, but I spend that working. Well, why not spend that time with your family and then get on the Hyperloop and, and be within 20 minutes somewhere that's 200 miles away and, and allow you to be much more efficient in terms of how you use your time? I've got a quite a technical question. Can the Hyperloop... I may be the wrong person. <laughs> but can it go through around bends, or is it just a straight line? It can bank, yes, for sure. And, and we are working on, as, as part of what we're testing, and part of what we need to do more testing, and part of what we're looking at for the test track in, in Saudi Arabia, for example, is, is a banked track and is a loop. So that allows us to do more. That is one of the areas where we need to do more testing. But, but ultimately, yes, it does need to bank, and we're working on the degrees of banking at the moment and, and how how much we can bank and, and how we can manage to go around to go around corners as you say and is it just on on ground or can it be built underground it can it can be it can be tunneled it can be most efficiently on ground but depending on and on pylons um in the same way that dubai metro is on is on pylons um it depends on the topography of, of the ground that we're covering uh it can go under the sea um in the same way you get the channel tunnel in, in between France and the UK. And the most efficient form is obviously on flat land that, that's built on concrete pylons and is able to travel over land. But when it encounters physical barriers, there are options for us to look at. Is it feasible to kind of go for the, straight away go, go for the top speeds, um, let's say the final products? Why not do something perhaps slower? So it's an interesting question. So, so we actually are looking at a number of options. So you've actually captured a thought that we've had quite recently, which is which we've contained within the kind of working title City Speed, which is perhaps maybe not at the super high speeds, but still still fast. That allows you to connect within perhaps dispersed cities. So if you look at the cities of the Gulf, because of the 
the large amounts of space and the flat land. Cities have been quite dispersed in the Gulf, unlike European cities, which have been contained typically by physical barriers, whether that's mountains, rivers, or, or, or coastlines. Um, but in the Gulf, they, they tend to be, because they, they have the space, they tend to have spread out more. So that allows you, in a city like Riyadh, which is quite a dispersed city, to, to move from one side of, of Riyadh to another side, which potentially in a, in a car journey could be maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours. You could do that on a Hyperloop in, in, in a few minutes, literally in a few minutes. So connecting intra-city is almost as exciting as connect, connecting inter-city as well. Is there the desire to do that in this part of the world? This part of the world, there is the desire to be able to leapfrog and to do things amazingly quickly. So that's one of the reasons why we're here, is to work with the governments of the Gulf to, to help them realise some of their visions. So the, the ability to leapfrog old rail technology and to move straight to Hyperloop is very real. And this region is not, unencum- is not encumbered by an old rail network, a creaky old rail network, in, in the way that perhaps India has a system that was that was based on you know it's based on 250 year old technology whereas whereas in the gulf they're very forward looking in terms of the leadership they want to be able to use technology to help them develop and and to deliver their visions for for their countries and hyperloop is definitely one of those not only from the the, the connectivity perspective in t- terms of helping people come together and helping cities come together at incredible speeds but also what that means from a manufacturing and a high tech um, job creation perspective as well. So the test site is in Nevada? Yes. Yes. Okay. Is that where all the development takes place? And what difference or impact will that have when you are building these uh, constructions in other parts of the world that don't have the same landscape perhaps? So we have, we have two facilities in, in, in the US. Our, our headquarters, which is our campus in Los Angeles in the Arts District, which is where the majority of our, our brilliant engineers are based. So we've got about 200 engineers, a lot of them coming out of NASA and SpaceX, um, really brilliant people who are working on, on trying to solve this problem. So, that, so that's where our intellectual heft is, if you like. And then that, those technologies then get taken out to uh, our test site in Nevada, just, out, just outside Vegas, and then they start to be tested there. So, so there's two sites, both are very different. And as we begin to evolve the technology, we need, as I said, we need to, to, to extend the, the, the test facility itself, the, the length of the tube simply. And we need to look at, as you said, we need to look at banking. We need to, to continue those testings. And, and one of the places we're potentially looking at doing that is with the King Abdullah Economic City in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, and we're talking to them actively at the moment about how we might do that. Um, we signed an MOU to conduct a study in July, uh, which, which we're in the process of completing at the moment. Um, we're actively engaged with the Economic Cities Authority, of, of which CAKE falls within, and within King Abdullah Economic City itself. We're talking to Coast University, King Abdullah Science and Technology University, about collaborating in terms of using their research and development facilities as well to help us do that. So we see a real partnership with Saudi Arabia, and, and of course, with Vision 2030, that wants to accelerate uh, development of the country, Hyperloop has got a real role to play within that as well. Not only connecting the cities, so you could do Jeddah to Riyadh in about 40 minutes, you could do Riyadh to Dammam in about 20 minutes, you could do Riyadh to, to, to Abu Dhabi in, in about 40 minutes, and, and Riyadh to Kuwait in, in about 35 minutes. So connecting the Gulf is, is, is clearly a desire for us to be able to do that and, and really fits in with what Vision 2030 is trying to, to achieve as well. Are you looking to raise investments? So far you guys have raised around $370 million. Is that enough to realise your ambitions? It's not. 
and and we need to continue to raise money to be able to, to bring this to life. It, it's expensive to do. Um, it is creating a brand new form of transport and a brand new form of technology that doesn't exist. Uh, the physical building, the physical infrastructure for testing is expensive. Um, so so we continually need to find the right partners who have the same to share our vision, and 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 share our enthusiasm and allow us to do that. We are very lucky in that our lead investor is DP World, uh, based here in Dubai, Dubai Ports World, uh, which is which is led by uh, His Excellency Sultan bin Salam, who's the chairman not only of, of DP World but is the chairman of, of Virgin Hyperloop One as well. And Sultan bin Salam very much shares our vision for a connected Gulf and also for a connected world and, and sees how it fits in from a cargo and logistics perspective as well. So, so we originally thought of this as a, as a passenger uh, opportunity, but, but, uh, but Sultan bin Salam also sees it as, as cargo and logistics. And, and we're, we're now working towards that vision as well. We, we have a DP World Cargo Speed brand, which you probably see on the outside of the pod here, which is part of that vision. If you could list your challenges right now, what order would they take? Clearly, the technology is, is, is the biggest challenge. Uh, engineering this from A to Z is, is a huge challenge. However, we believe that, that we have the right people, we have the right investment, uh, and we're moving ahead with that. So, so that, is, that is, without a doubt, a challenge on a daily basis. However, we believe we're tackling that challenge and we'll tackle that challenge. We know we're going to get there. We absolutely know that. So we know that Hyperloop will exist within the next few years. The, the, the real challenge is con- convincing people that, it, that it's, it's science fact and it's not science fiction. And, and that's not only passengers and future passengers, but it's also potential customers, which, which largely will be governments. So doing, the, so doing something for the first time is always, is always difficult and, and always a challenge. But we believe that once we have our first customer and we have the, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, that other customers will, 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 will follow very quickly. And once that begins to happen, we believe there will be a snowball effect. Is there an appetite currently to invest? There, in there is a things? there is a massive appetite to change the way we do things. That there is a there is a a fatigue with existing forms of transport all over the world. Whether that's the, the creaky infrastructure of the U.S., whether that's the overcrowded infrastructure of Europe, um, that, that there is a thirst to be able to do things differently. And we believe that Hyperloop will deliver that. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Tim. Thank you very much for yours.